you have your Bibles, if you could open them up to the book of Isaiah. We are in Isaiah chapter, end of chapter 8, beginning of chapter 9, as we're in this new Advent series called Quiet, Soft, and Slow. It's uh, from the Christmas song, um, talking about how Jesus came. He didn't come with an ad campaign. He didn't come up with trumpets. He came totally uh, countercultural and subversive as a baby, a vulnerable little baby. The, the king of kings who's super mighty, he can squish you with his brain, comes into the world as a little child, like, like a winter snow, quiet and soft and slow. And that, that Christmas story that all of us are familiar with has the ability to actually impact us if we allow it. And this, honestly, our goal this Christmas, this Advent season, is to have something that allows us to experience this season different than you've ever experienced it before. Some of you, you've yet to know a bad Christmas. Up to this point, Christmases have just been epic from the beginning. And like, man, they're, they're, they're fulfilling. They're, I just can't wait because they're always just good. Zero drama. And that's two of you. Now, the rest of us have experienced Christmases that have been like, ah, and then other ones are like, ah, and, and everything in between. But the great thing is, is that when we come to Advent, we're reminded of something that's above and beyond any of those circumstances. Um, how many of you grew up in a tradition, either in church or in your family, where you, you recognized, like, the liturgical calendar of Advent, the, the four weeks of, of Advent, and you did the readings and you lit the candles. How many of you, that was just totally off the grid, you had no clue? That was me. Okay, I grew up in a, a Baptist church, and for whatever reason, they're like, this sounds weird, and they just di didn't do it at all. And so, like, the idea of coming into Advent and focusing in on, on hope and peace and joy and love as far as these four prescribed weeks was something super foreign to me. And so as we've done it here and there as a church, it's been, it's been fascinating to me to realize that right now, all around the world, people who are followers of Jesus, people who, who, who used to be in the darkness or who are now following Jesus, they're wrapping their hearts and minds around this very subject matter of the hope that's found in God. I mean, if you're here visiting from out of town, and, you're, and you're, there's a church back home, there's a good chance that this weekend they're talking about a hope that goes above and beyond our expectations. And that's huge because this week, the first week of Advent, as we're focusing in on hope, hope is the thing that we oftentimes are desperate for, but it seems to constantly evade us. It's like we're after it. It's like some of you um, on Wednesday and Thursday, you mapped out, if you didn't do it online, if you, if you didn't shop online, you actually mapped out where you're going to go because there were door busters that you had to get. You mapped this out because you were pursuing something. There was something that you had to get. How many of you actually did on Friday, Black Friday shopping? Okay, yeah. It's okay. This is a safe place. It's all right. I'm a sinner. Okay, how many of you, how many of you actually, you're messed up enough that you went out Thursday night? Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so for, uh, it's changed with the internet. It's gotten way easier just to find awesome deals online. But back in the day, I mean, even just a couple years back, I mean, this was like throwdown time. People would line up at Walmart or Best Buy at 3 in the morning. I did that one time. But then you, you get a chance to not only try to get something that you're after, but you also got that junior high glee of watching a fight. You know, actually, like literal fight, like, and that, that, I mean, that was something that I just remember. But that, let's just think about it through that lens. Um, there's hope. Hope is something that we're all after. This is you. And it's the desperate, the thing that's frustrating about life is that you, you, maybe you're old enough that when you get around to Christmas, it's super frustrating and it's super 
I don't know, demoralizing because you've realized that Christmas and this season is disappointing. There are hopes in life that you hope and hope and hope, and then you taste it for a little bit, and then it's taken away. No matter what that is, whether it's a relationship, oh, I hope that finally I'm going to have a relationship, or I hope that the relationship gets put back together, and then your hopes are dashed, or I hope, I hope that, that, that this, this political cycle will be sane, and if you're hoping for that, we're going to pray for you. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that, that, that I'm going to be able to have a job that's secure. Hope, all these hopes that we have. And it feels like no matter how much we try and hope for these things, someone's right there to rob us. Someone's right there to take it from us. Like, nope, it's not mine. And the store clerk's saying that that's absolutely the case. Nope, it's not yours. Hope is not yours. And inevitably, there's someone in our life over in the corner judging us because of how we're acting, desperate for hope, which is... Super hypocritical because the people judging us, they've already got the thing. It's like, I don't even understand. And so we go through life desperately clawing for this hope, wishing that we could hold on to it, and it keeps on. We're just like, why is it? What's wrong with my life? That the very things I hope for, my family stability, uh, good things that are happening in this world, the very things that I hope for, these are not bad things. They get robbed from me. They get taken away. And that's because the, that's not hope. Hope, based on what, we're, what we've got as, a, as a, a barometer check or a thermo, thermometer check of right now. If we looked at right now in our life and we just said, this is, we, you should be hopeful because look at how great things are right now. That's not hope. That's just a reality check. Right now, things happen to be good or things happen to stink or whatever. That's just reality check. Hope is not, there's something better than hope. And actually, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Hope is actually a future expectation. It's not a right now reality check. That's not hope. Hope is a future expectation. This is yet to happen. A future expectation that invades my current desperation. A future expectation. It's not right now. If I'm looking right now and I'm saying this is what I'm hoping for, I've got nothing to hope for. But it's a future expectation that has invaded my current desperation. And so we're going to be looking at, at Isaiah Chapter 8 and 9, as, as, as the prophet is talking about the fact that that is what they're defining hope for. That's what they have to define hope out of. So we're going to talk about where did hope go? How do we get the hope back? And once we have hope back, what do we, how do we keep it? Where did it go? How do we get it back? And how do we keep it? So first off, starting off with where did hope go? Uh, we recognize that, that hope has gone. It's, it's evaded us because it's been robbed. It's been robbed from us. The, the, the very hope that we have, has been let, we've been let down. We've, we've been disappointed. Uh, the, the reason that people live hopelessly is because they've been let down time and time again. This year is going to be the year where the relationship gets right or I get in a relationship. And then, and then just as soon as things look like they're going your way, the bottom falls out from underneath you. Again, each one of these things that we put our hope in, we feel like the hope just gets robbed away, and it leaves us with the opposite of hope, which is desperation. In fact, and I love how Google does this, um, it can track how many times a word has been used over the years, like in publications and, uh, and just in different, um, whether it's online or it's just in people's writing or articles. And desperation has been climbing through the years. It's always been going up, but the amount of times that desperation is used in identifying this is how life is right now, this is what life is like for me, is going up and up and up. 
And that's just a reflection of the fact that when people are looking at their life, they're saying, I feel more and more hopeless. And I'm more honest, I'm able to be more honest about the fact that, look, I might have been totally airbrushing my life to people, or I may have been Facebooking that things were just like, like a one perspective and everything was good and grand. But honestly, when it comes down to it, I feel hopeless. I feel desperate. I have desperation. And see, what that, where that comes from is that, that, re, that, that frustration of the fact that I have rooted my hope in relationships, in politics, in my grades, in my friend group, in my salary, in my job, performance. That's where my hope was. But when that started to whittle away, when the relationships started to go south, when, when all of a sudden the breakup happened, my reaction, because that's where my hope was, that's where I had hope, all of a sudden I start to get desperate. We start to, to act super, super awkward in relationships when we get desperate. Or, or in, my, in my job, like this job, man, why do I feel secure and happy? Because I've got a job that's paying the bills, which is great until that job gets lost. Or, or you no longer are the person that people are turning to in your place of work. Or you get a demotion because of something that you did or something you didn't do. And all of a sudden you feel worthless. Why? Because all of your worth and all of your hope was in that job. And when it slipped away, all of a sudden you got desperate. You felt lost. And scripture, it doesn't talk about um, this. And, and this passage doesn't talk about hopelessness within the, the, the framework of the word desperation. It has a different word for that lost feeling. And, and the, the word that we see in Isaiah chapter 8 is darkness. Darkness is described as this way. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Isaiah is a prophet. And so he's describing a future event. He's been a prophet who has said to the people, God has required you to follow him and him alone. The two main things the prophets throughout the Old Testament are saying is this. You need to treat foreigners with dignity, and you need to honor and follow God alone. No idols, no fake gods, whether the, the fake god is something that you carve or it's a person that you're in relationship with. That any idolatry, anything that's the epicenter of your life other than God leads to this darkness. Because each one of those things is saying, I hear what you're saying, I hear what you're saying, but honestly, this is the most important thing in my life. And the prophet Isaiah is, is saying, God is communicating to you something that is going to happen in the future. If you make your life about declaring your independence from God, if you make your prayer, God, I want independence from you, God will answer that prayer. He will give you what you ask for. And in their context, he's saying, if you want independence from me and you want me to draw back, I will draw back. And, and my protection will be drawn back and my shield around you will be drawn back and into the fertile crescent will be invaded armies that will take you out, Israel. And there's going to be darkness and gloom. You know, it's really frustrating when you feel hopeless because of someone, someone else's choices upon you that you're a victim of. Even darker is when you feel hopeless because of your own choices, your own failures. Isaiah is not addressing 
how to deal with other people's failures which have victimized you. He's addressing with something even more severe. And the person who's the, the one that's at fault is the person we're looking at in the mirror. This was their fault. The darkness around them, the gloom around them was by their own making. But the greatest thing about what, what Isaiah and the prophets do is they don't just give you a reality check and say, okay, we're going to start here. We're not going to start with angels singing. We're not going to start with, with beautiful restoration. We're going to start with a reality check. Let's just, let's be honest. This is dark. This is darkness around us. But he doesn't leave them there. He actually gives them the place where their hope comes from, a way that they can get their hope back. Isaiah, as the prophet, describes the fact that there is going to come into the land a light, and the light is the future Messiah. So how do we get our hope back? We follow his same lead. We receive the light of Christ. At Advent time, we have this amazing reality. The first candle within the wreath is describing hope. And it's not a hope that we manufacture, a hope that we were able to invent upon ourselves, or, or if we're just really, really moral, we can be hopeful, and we can, if we really get our family together this year, we can have hope, or if we really, really get, get busy at work, then we can have hope. It's a greater hope than that. Listen to what he says in the beginning of 9. Nevertheless, so yeah, it is absolutely dark. That is the reality check we need to have. But nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in darkness. Darkness was the reality, but you have a future expectation that there will be no more gloom for those in darkness. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the, the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Why? The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. This is the beauty that we see within Scripture. The, the, the beauty that we see within Scripture is the fact that in the midst of the darkness, light has come. See, see that, 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 and it spreads. And the cool thing about that is this. Why is it that we celebrate Christmas on December 25th? I mean, as opposed to what, what Back to the Future said, Jesus was not born on December 25th, 0000. Okay, <laughs> it would be awesome. But most scholars believe he either, he either it took place in the spring or perhaps even in the fall. They're not exactly sure, but they're pretty sure it wasn't the 25th. There is a reason why we celebrate his birth, however, on December 25th. And, that, and that's because of the fact that what took place that, that the prophet Isaiah foretold is that there's going to come a light into the land. And when that light comes, all of a sudden, that promise is going to come where God is going to come and he's going to make restoration for our darkness. He's going to do it. And when he does, it's going to change everything. When Jesus came as a little baby and he gave up his life as a man dying on a, on a Roman crucifixion cross, he did something that changed the darkness of our, of, our, of our world. And that reality started to spread. Why is it that we have Christmas lights? Why is it that, that people light candles at Christmas around the Advent wreath? It's because of the fact that we're recognizing that the, the, our current state is dark, but it's not the end of the story. When the pagan Romans started to pick up on this, and, and this gospel is going into the, all the world, just like we talked about in the last series, where he started in Jerusalem, then went to Judea and Samaria, and then to the uttermost part of the world, all of a sudden they start picking up on stuff. And they celebrated something on December 25th called Saturnalia. And they're like, man, Saturnalia is an awesome thing where we get to celebrate with, with we just get super, super drunk, and we give gifts, and we have people over, and it's, it's amazing, it's awesome. It's super, super, uh, just a, a huge cultural thing. But now we've turned our life over to Jesus. See, what we used to be celebrating was this. 
all from the summer on where there's this the reality that the sun is getting less and less and less and less in the sky. It's getting darker and darker and darker. We used to hang out and barbecue at 8.30 p.m. and it was still a sunlight outside. And now it's like dead of darkness at 1.30 in the afternoon. It's awful. And it just gets more and more depressing. But all of a sudden, there's a turning point where it starts to get lighter and lighter and lighter. And the sun comes into the sky for a longer period of time, bit by bit. And we used to celebrate that as Saturnalia. But now we're followers of Jesus. He's the sun that's come into the darkness. The sun has come, and into the darkness we have hope for new life and restoration bit by bit. He was the gift that we can now emulate in our gift-giving and in our celebrations as families and as friends. How can we get our hope back? How do we get the hope back? I wrote this in our notes. How do you get your hope back? Remove its deepest source, the deepest source of our hope, from the things that let you down in the first place, your salary, your significant others, your stuff, yourself, and plant it firmly in your Savior. None of those things are bad. They're only bad when they are your source of future expectation of good, your source of security and hope, because they will always let you down. However, if Christ, the Son of God who came into the world to restore us, if he is your hope, then all of a sudden you have a different, you have something that can actually invade even the most difficult points of those relationships, of those jobs, that the, the, the relationships you have with the people at school, etc. See, back in, in, in Isaiah's time, they were looking forward to that. They were looking forward to the Christ. They didn't have Jesus to look at. The cross, as a, as a form of execution, hadn't even been invented yet. All they had was God's promise that they could look forward and now standing in 2019, we can see that he actually did that. He actually fulfilled his promise. And so now we're able to look forward to the fact that Jesus, before, after he died on the cross and rose, and then when he rose again, he said that he was coming back. That he's not going to, that he's, that he's not leaving us, but that he's going to come back. In the book of Revelation, in Revelation 21, 5, he says, I'm coming back to make all things new. Now, do you have that hope? I mean, you may have done church your whole life. There's enough people in here, and I don't know every single person in this room. But do you have that hope? Or have you just been around the idea of Jesus long enough to feel accustomed to him? But you've never surrendered your life. You've never put your ultimate hope in what he can bring to you. Or maybe you've put your hope in, I will follow you, God, as long as my life is going well. I will follow you, God, as long as, things, as page, paychecks are being paid, grades are good, and I'm not flunking chemistry. As long as, as the divorce doesn't happen, or as long as, as things are going well with my health, I will follow you. But you never surrendered to Jesus as the hope who can come into the darkness of every one of those things and sustain you. If you haven't done that, you could do that today. Just surrender your life to him. Say, I am done. I am done with the darkness. I am done with the darkness being my ultimate definer. Like the worst version of me, I'm tired of that being my ultimate definer. The worst things I could do, or even the best things I could do, as being the best identity for me. My primary identity is going to be in the fact that you invaded the darkness and I've asked you to make it light. You've invaded the darkness of my soul and I've asked you to give me hope. That's the most important thing about me. Have you done that? Man, if not, start that today. This will be a Christmas that you'll remember forever. But if you have it, if you have that hope, your salvation may be secure, but your hope isn't. Hope is something that like, it's gone. It's gone like that. 
How do you keep it? How can we keep the hope that we have? Well, take a look at, at, at what we see in the, in, the, in the rest of that verse in chapter 2. We're just going to read chapter, or, or verse two, chapter 9, verse 2 again. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Okay, so they, they've, they've got the observation. Of that, look, I've seen it. I can recognize this as light. But look what happens in the last, last part of that verse. On those living in the land of deep darkness, not just darkness, deep darkness, a light has dawned. So in the first part of the verse, you have people that are recognizing it. A light's there, and I'm recognizing it. And then it follows it up by saying, look, this is just the, this is the new reality that we're living under. A light has dawned. It is done. And so the, the greatest thing that we can be, if we're going to be a people of the hope, is not just to say, I'm saved because of Jesus, but because of what Jesus did, I'm still living each and every day with the reality that a light has dawned. In spite of the darkness of what's happening in my context, a light is still here. It, it's a remembering. I remember. How do I keep the hope I have? By saying, Lord, remind me. Remind me of the reality that you've instilled in me. Remind me of what you've pulled off. And that's where faith comes in. This is why you honestly cannot have the most epic Christmas, the best Christmas without Jesus. Like, people can have wonderful family gatherings, they can give great presents, but you cannot have the best Christmas without faith. Because Hebrews chapter 12 says this, or 11 says this, faith is being sure of what we hope for. It's being certain of what we do not see. The reason that, you, that, that faith is so critical to this is because you are someone who's standing in 2019 saying, I am looking as a person who has a future expectation that's invading the darkness of my current desperation. See, Christmas reminds us, it's proof that God keeps his promises. Though Isaiah couldn't see it at the time, all they had to go on was God's promise, and then God, he fulfilled his promise by coming. Now you and I are waiting for, for Christ's second advent. You and I are waiting in the darkness of right now darkness that we've crafted in our own life and the, the darkness of the, the stuff that's going on around us. Why do we have confidence? Why do we have hope? Because he already fulfilled his promise. He already did what he said he would do. Why would we doubt him to pull it off again? Folks, that is a better hope than if this year, this year is going to be different with the family. People are going to behave themselves this year. Or, or the or, that wasn't supposed to be funny, but yes. <laughs> that this year, that the, the, this present is actually going to be appreciated. That this year, all the work that you do for the meal is actually going to be acknowledged. You got a better hope than that. You have a much better hope than that. This year, everyone in my family will be healthy. We've lost people this year that will not be around your Christmas tables. And you, we've got to grapple with the darkness of that. Do you have a hope that can sustain even the, the, the depression of that reality? You do, if you're in Christ. Because you have a future expectation that could even invade the frustration of that. Hope is a future expectation that invades my current desperation. And the only way that we can hold on to that hope is to do what Isaiah was calling him to do, to remember, remember this future expectation that could invade that desperate situation. One of the ways that we wanted to, to equip you for that, for this holiday year, because again, we want this to be a better Christmas than ever before, is we came up with a bunch of, of presents that we, we've made for each household. So whether you're, you're all by, uh, if you came here and it's just you, 
we've got a gift for your household. If you've got 1,000 people that you're in here with, then this is one of those for your household. But what they are is basically this. We, we try to have, um, we try to give ornaments uh, as a challenge each year from our church. Um, because it's right around this time that most people start to put up their Christmas tree. Some of you put up your Christmas tree right after Halloween, and you need, you, you need help. But we, we have these as a way to identify something. And sometimes the, the ornament is a way for you to come forward and say, I am someone who's privileged with the reality of Jesus in my life, and I've been holding on to that privilege and keeping it from the people in my world who don't know Jesus. That's really messed up if you're a person of privilege and you keep it to yourself, right? And, and so it's an identifier of, I need, to, I need to share this reality with those around me. But this year, um, it's a snowflake, and the snowflake is to remind you of that song. The reality that Jesus came into the world like a winter snow, quiet, soft, and slow. That, 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 that's going to be something, when you put that on your Christmas tree, you'll be able to remember that reality of how he has come into this world. But we wanted to also give you the, a reality of the biblical backing of why is it that we have this faith? Why is it that we have this hope? And so we made uh, just a poster for you guys to have. Again, if you're all by yourself here or you're here with a whole family, this is something whether you're like 75 years old or you're 15 or 5, that you could actually go through each day and just kind of go through that as, as a family or as an individual, just reading and let it wash over you the hope that you have and where it comes from. Uh, but we also wanted to, to put on in here um, this book, which is called The Case for Christmas by Lee Strobel. Strobel is an awesome guy. He was an atheist. Um, and then he, until he investigated the claims of Christ for himself, specifically the resurrection. And that's something that, that just caused him to say, what am I doing? And he completely changed the script of his life and gave his life, surrendered his life over to Jesus. And so he, he's written a ton of books. That, uh, my favorite is Case for a Creator. But this one is all about, how do I even believe the whole story of the nativity? Is it just a story or is, it, or is there historicity there? And so this is just a short book that, again, if, I, I would say that if you're high school or maybe even junior high on up this is something that you could get something out of and then we put hot chocolate on the back because everybody likes hot chocolate now here's what we want to encourage you with to do or we want to challenge you to do is i would like you to again to think this over and say everybody wants hope but not everyone wants hope from jesus Everyone wants, everyone wants to have that, that idea of a, I, I'd love to know that things are going to be okay in the future. That's a future expectation. Everyone would like to have that. And sometimes we just tell ourselves nice Hallmark Christmas movie-esque endings to our, our life that just never pan out. The best hope that we have that's found in Christ is a hope that's deeper than that. And so I want to challenge you as an individual, as a couple, as a family, to really ask the question, do I want to ask that to come into my life? Do I, do I want God to, to remind me of the hope and let that be my driving force for confidence, not my current circumstances? That's you. Again, whether you're here all by yourself, whether you're a high schooler or you're 75, you're here as a couple, you're here as a family. As this song is being sung, simply calling back the opportunity of God, please, remind me of what you've done. Remind me, come enter into the darkness of my world or even the, the, the joy that I have in my world that's built on things that are going to expire. God, give me a better hope. Remind me of what you've done. 
Give me hope that's from you. While he's singing the song, I want to encourage you to do this. To simply come forward as a family, as a couple, or as an individual. And just find some space up here. Take the, the present that we've got for you. And then just pray. And whether you're an individual or, or you're a family or you're, or you're here as a couple. With one per household, I just want you to simply say, pray a simple prayer of God. I want the hope you provide. Enter into our family this year with a better hope than we've had. Enter into our family this year with the hope that you provide. It doesn't have to be long. It can be very, very simple. But it's a game changer for the followers of Jesus, the light of the world. Because those walking in darkness have seen a great light. Amen? Take time. Take as much time as you want. Make sure you make space for other people if they're coming alongside you. But again, whether you're here all by yourself or as a family, take time to do this as the song is being sung. Go ahead and do that now.